Sarah here with a solo episode or mini episode number three of the Optimalist podcast, where I'll be talking about higher order curiosity, likely a term you're not thinking about or have ever heard of perhaps, but in the Optimalist community, we are thinking about it and other higher order capabilities all of the time these days. So today I'm going to read from an August edition of our newsletter where Swivel co-founder and CEO Brian Lamb began writing about the new human skills that will arise as we move into the era of existence alongside AI. And as you know, if you are a regular listener, the Optimalist podcast has set out to examine the higher order capabilities that we need to build an optimal future with AI. So let's explore the elements of human flourishing and figure out together how we can cultivate them. The Cure for Curiosity. What is higher order curiosity and how might we foster it? Shifting to higher order capabilities is the playbook for how humans respond to societal change, like automation. As we shifted from tribal cultures to agrarian societies, our higher order capabilities began to emerge. And as we entered the industrial era, where automation became the biggest driver of societal change, we shifted from lower order to higher order skills with each new wave. Now that we understand this playbook, we can apply it to today's wave of AI automation. AI arguably presents us with a change as large as the first wave of mechanical automation in the late 1700s, notable since it was one of the shifts that actually took us time to economically adapt to, known as Engel's pause. That being said, higher order capabilities aren't likely to be completely new human skills at this point, at least without some kind of technological augmentation. And given the sheer breadth of AI's capabilities, they also aren't likely to be a shift to existing but now unused cognitive skills either. It's most likely that a different emphasis within our existing capabilities will arise which to me means engaging our metacognition more fully in applying our cognitive skills. Building stronger conscious narratives, it means more self-awareness and reflectiveness, and specifically, it means awareness of the hard parts of applying those skills and capabilities so that we can continue to contribute to what AI can't or won't be able to do for the immediate future. This has us at the optimalist exploring how to push human capabilities to higher orders so we can work effectively alongside AI. And as a start, we recently explored what higher order creativity looks like now that it's clear that AI is automating creativity at higher orders. In this post today, or rather in this podcast today, we are going to explore curiosity through that lens. So what is curiosity? Curiosity is the strong desire to know or learn something, and it's connected to the psychological trait of openness, but's regarded as having an extra drive to sustain discomfort, grow, and adapt. It is already a generally revered quality, essential to creativity, job and company performance, happiness, leading a good life, and more. We didn't always value it like this, thus the origin of saying, curiosity killed the cat and the whole biblical forbidden fruit thing. But likely in one of our prior societal shifts, it became a skill that we did value. And that already gives us something to work with from a conscious narrative perspective, at least. Of course, 
There's already lots of guidance on how to foster curiosity too, but most of it can be boiled down to a message of be curious. This is what curious people do. They ask questions and you should do that as well. Once you read a few articles with this tone, they all start to feel a bit like telling someone with anxiety to be calm. It's not wrong. It's just really not that helpful when you think about it. Educators speak often of trying to build a love of learning and the skill of lifelong learning, which both speak to curiosity. And there's also teaching methods like inquiry made to engage our curiosity fully in learning. There are some amazing educators that we have met and worked with and that all of you have met and worked with that practice this artfully. You might even be one of those educators yourself. And we have huge respect for everything that they are trying to do but it's a complex method to master. I think we can all agree. And that complexity has always limited the reach and effectiveness of this method. So what makes curiosity unique amongst our higher order qualities? Well, it's a biological impulse. It's connected to our brain reward pathways, that all important neurotransmitter, dopamine. In most cases, when we're talking about reaching higher order thinking, we're talking about trying to manage or rise above our impulses, like the delay of gratification, for example. But with curiosity, it's the opposite. This is an impulse we want to fuel. So what's the hard part then? The hard part is that we're quite good at extinguishing it. It's a fragile impulse. Our other impulses are more powerful and they interfere with this process. Exhaustion and overwhelm are very successful in stripping it away. And as we all know, children are unambiguously curious, asking a million questions at any moment of the day. And then over time, they seem to get less curious. Their interests narrow and the boundaries around them harden. They stop asking so many questions and it doesn't seem controversial to claim that few adults remain genuinely curious for a span of life. Traditionally, there are three major contributors noted for this gradual decline in curiosity as we age. As is the case with creativity, schools get a lot of the blame, unfortunately. And while like creativity, there is some undeniable truth in this critique, when taken too far, it denies a truth about curiosity. And that is, that you need to know something exists for the impulse to be curious to actually arise. You need a platform to draw from, some background knowledge, etc. You need to learn some things ahead of interest developing in that thing, ahead of that impulse arising. And school builds necessary background knowledge and exposure for curiosity to spring beyond pirates and forts and into scientific research and advanced mathematics. A second major contributor is culture, meaning how we value curious behavior, socially speaking. More recently, we have come to value it as noted before, but historically we valued it less. And there are a large array of social influences that apply whether it's cool to be curious in your social circles, whether your company or school values questions being asked or views them as a challenge to authority, etc. And third is the biological changes to our brain as we age naturally, as our executive functions strengthen, 
a byproduct of synaptic pruning in our prefrontal cortex. It brings other powerful impulses into the equation. The impulse to always be right. The impulse for things to be simple and easy. The impulse for perfection and to avoid failure. The impulse for safety and more. Historically, those contributors were all you had to overcome in order to be curious. And that was already too big of a challenge for most of us. This is really where prior guidance misses the mark. To remain curious, you can't just demand it. You can't just use willpower because it's biological. It's a self-regulation challenge. You need to be able to control these other competing impulses in order to strengthen curiosity. So the tools of self-regulation, like mindfulness and exercise and so on, thus become very important. Now we want to talk about the fourth contributor. The fourth influence, of course, is technology. We've left that to last because its impact is complicated and, of course, it's rapidly changing. But in order to give this topic its due consideration, we first need to get a layer deeper into what curiosity is even more. Curiosity is connected to our attention and our ability to recognize patterns. You won't be curious about anything that you don't pay some attention to, and you won't be curious if there's no pattern or background information to compare against, as noted at the point above when we're talking about the role of schools. As defined by the pioneering researcher in this field, Daniel Berlin, curiosity is triggered by novelty, surprisingness, complexity, and incongruity. He describes that it can be a trait or a state-based. Trait you can think of as passively wondering about something. State is more the kind that arises when you're actively engaged in something. He also claims that it can be what he calls specific or diversive. Specific is when it applies to an interest you already possess and want to learn more about. And diversive is more like the kind that arises out of boredom or the absence of stimulation. Much of what we call human talent comes from specific state-based curiosity. It's excellence in sports, engineering, art, or even hobbies. It's the drive to master something from insatiable curiosity. So without even knowing it, state-based is something we prioritize implicitly. Yet, it's likely some of the most important breakthroughs in science, philosophy, and connection in life come from trait and diversive. For example, this is likely what contributes to most aha moments. Trait and diversive are naturally more open-ended, and this likely fuels our ability to find new interests and likely even to adapt well to change. So all kinds of curiosity have some value to us. And it's here that the first clear concern on the impacts of technology arise. Technology, and we mean this generally as technology with the goal of human engagement, works by leveraging our specific curiosity, for example, our interests, and lowering the thresholds to get us into the state of being curious. This has the upside of keeping us constantly entertained as well as engaged more fully while we are advancing a skill or learning some knowledge. Subjectively, it also seems to make us feel more curious as a result of this. The downsides of this include distraction. When we engage for too long with something that we wouldn't consciously identify as a priority, it also induces biological changes in us that exhaust the supply of fuels for natural curiosity. And importantly, 
it brings with it a large reduction in the boring or understimulating experiences that promote diversive and trait-based curiosity. With an exception we'll discuss, this further weakens our natural curiosity. We're settling for a less strong, less broad kind of curiosity in exchange for whatever skill or knowledge that has been gained. This is beginning to be shown with the decline in trait openness with heavy internet use, of which many of us fall under now. It's often been stated blankly that AI will increase human potential without any evidence as to how, that if we're given the chance to ask unlimited questions of an infinitely patient AI, that we will. It never gets discussed or challenged, and I've, well, we have started to wonder if all the excitement about AI is really just the desire to be freed from the fragile impulse of curiosity to advance society, that AI represents the next step in engagement automation, one that will finally automate a person's behavior to resemble a naturally curious one. But this assumes that the highly engaging experience of using AI does not bring our curiosity levels to new and historic lows. And it also assumes that the behavior being automated has the same value towards developing knowledge and skills as someone authentically, naturally curious, of which there should be at least some doubt. There's a wonderful quote by Dorothy Parker that states, the cure for boredom is curiosity. There is no cure for curiosity. But all of this has us wondering, what of this quote will remain true at this point? So what is the exception? The exception that we mentioned above is that a small percentage of people seem to have much greater resilience to our curiosity. There's seemingly no amount of information or level of automated engagement that can diminish it for them. Burnout isn't really a reality for these people. All automated engagement does is fuel their curiosity further and further. So who are they? These are the modern Einsteins of the world, the people who have truly figured out their passions, the people whose motivational reserves and maybe biological constitutions are so strong that they exceed the negative impacts of automated engagement, at least as far as we can see at this point. We should also note that there's a growing correlation between this trait and various forms of neurodivergence. The problem that we see is using the exception as the rule. It's plainly evident that too few have this sort of resilience. This is why the advice to just follow your passions is so often something that fails to produce the same exceptionally curious people. It's not a reliable model to follow. And the thing is, we need broadly curious people curious in all the ways that we're capable of in order to have an optimal future with AI, which to me, to us, means that we can't just depend on automated engagement or failed models for generating curiosity to continue to progress as a civilization. What we need is to start fostering a higher order curiosity, one that recognizes and addresses the challenges better than ever. So what is the cure here? As a starting point, the priority of mindfulness and self-regulation towards curiosity here should be made more clear. Some kind of mindfulness routine should be, even be thought of as required in education and work at this point. And it can't be just once a week or even once a day kind of thing. It needs to be a routine that keeps up with the speed of mental exhaustion of modern life. Exercise and activity are also essential. I think we have really grown to know this at this point, especially for kids. 
And like all good things in life, it also requires an understanding that negative experience and struggle are a part of the curiosity equation. It requires regularly paying attention and learning about something before you may have an explicit interest in it. It requires being ready to challenge whatever resistance you experience from a cultural perspective, either at work or at school. And it also means intentionally creating space for boredom to occur, space that's essential for trait and diversive curiosity to emerge. And the more we're taught to understand the necessity of these struggles, the more ready we can be to embrace them. And while we leverage automated engagement tools, as we absolutely should be doing to help us learn and perform at higher levels, we should regularly reflect on the interests that they do inspire. In light of the subjective feelings they can bring, we should learn to question our interests instead of holding them as inviolable. We should ask, what causes me to like XYZ? Does this interest have the potential to motivate me to change and grow? Or is it just entertaining me momentarily? With a better awareness of how your interests make you feel, you can understand which ones have the potential to drive your curiosity to new heights even further and which ones will leave you stalled and that you should probably abandon or move past. With a strengthened understanding and awareness of what is hard about curiosity and some systems to help us do these things reliably in our work, school, and home lives, the real cure for curiosity could finally be within our reach. And I'm going to end with one of my favorite I guess, I guess a quote I love from Mark Manson, who's one of my favorite writers and modern thinkers out there in the world. But he says, what we get out of life is not determined by the good feelings that we desire, but by what bad feelings we're willing and able to sustain to get us to those good feelings. And so I invite anybody who has reactions to either this mini episode, I mean, any episode of The Optimalist in general, but especially some of these new ideas and concepts that are coming up in in these little mini episodes, to always, you're always able to tweet to us or directly to me and use the hashtag Optimalist so that we can follow that tag and see uh, questions and curiosities that are coming up as you listen or as you read along. As always... We are looking for more and more comments and ratings and reviews now on Substack, Apple Podcasts, all of that stuff really helps us out. So you can let us know what you think by leaving a comment on Substack. If you're a subscriber, you can write a review in Apple Podcasts. You can even just go in and rate us an Apple Podcast. Give us a five-star rating would be awesome. And you can leave a review there, a you know, physical written review there as well. You can reach me on Twitter at scandela9, that is S-C-A-N-D-E-L-A, and then the number nine. Um, as I mentioned before, the hashtag optimalist can be used when posting answers to questions we ask here, or if you have comments or, or anything that you want to talk about, that's always where you can find us on Twitter. And I'll be sure to see it that way. I can also be reached at sarah at getengageable.com. That's Sarah with no H. You can listen and subscribe to The Optimalist Podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of the resources that we mention here, whether we have a guest on and they're talking about their own resources and socials or an episode like this, a mini episode, a solo episode where we might mention outside 
writings or sources that we've used in cultivating these ideas, all of that stuff will be linked as well as the original newsletter post that today's episode was um, taken from. All that will be linked and posted in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Swivel. At Swivel, we understand that the biggest challenge in education is the rate of change. Policy revisions, technological advancements, especially now ones that are accelerated by AI, evolving job markets, and ongoing research, constantly identifying new best practices are only some of the factors affecting the rate of change in education. To learn how Swivel can help you be more reflective, engaged, and adaptable, visit swivel.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this special mini-sode of The Optimalist, and I'll be back next week with a whole new conversation, I promise. Until then, stay engaged, stay reflective, and definitely, definitely stay adaptable.